The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Miss May. Well, guys, I invite you this morning, if you have your Bible, and if you don't, uh, you can grab the pew, blue pew Bible in front of you, uh, if there's one available, uh, to the uh, page number of 839 is where we're at, Mark chapter 4 this morning, Mark chapter 4 and verses 1 to 20. We are covering 20 verses this morning, oh my. Uh, if you're going to have a heart attack, I have 911 on speed dial, because that's, uh, that's a record for us, especially myself. Uh, but uh, we're going to be looking at, before we enter the Christmas season, the Advent season, uh, just kind of going through a little bit more of the book of Mark. And it's a very familiar parable for most of you and a very familiar story as it is. And I want us just to wrap up Mark for the year. We got through chapter four. We started in January and we've made it this far. So we've done pretty well thus far. Uh, but next week and starting through the end of the year, we'll be looking at some prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament. And uh, that'll hopefully be an encouragement to you, because if you've been in Sunday school, and this is a plug, if you have not, uh, join a Sunday school class, uh, join us in those times. As you study through the book of Leviticus the last several weeks, you've probably seen that everything, even the weird details sometimes that come out of Leviticus in our American minds, all point back to what Jesus would eventually do on the cross and how grateful we are. So this morning, the parable of the sower, or better said, perhaps the parable of the soils. And how many of y'all remember growing up, maybe you still do this at home because you forget where things are sometimes, that old song, head and shoulders, knees and toes, you're singing with me, that's good. Head and shoulders, knees and toes, eyes and ears and mouth and nose, head and shoulders, knees and toes. Yes, thank you, Tina. You did very, very well. So if you need help, Tina can help you up front. But you remember that song, don't you? You remember that because it taught little people, especially where their main body parts were, head and shoulders, knees and toes. And it's interesting as we enter into this passage of Scripture, it's interesting to notice how the Bible often does the same thing. The Bible uses some part of the human body to make an important spiritual truth and an observation or to illustrate an important spiritual truth. There is no PowerPoint today, so if you came for my award-winning clip art graphics, you're going to be missing out. So um, I'll just read to you some scripture. You know, the Bible talks about feet. You know, you got two of those things usually. Romans 10.15 reminds us, doesn't it, about how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or bring the good news. The Bible talks about hands and knees. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. The Bible talks about the tongue. Oh, ooh, this is one we don't like to venture into in a Baptist church. James chapter 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, James says, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire of the course of the life set on fire by hell. The Bible talks about feet, hands, knees, tongues. It talks about eyes. Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And I love this one, and I joke about this all the time. It talks about hair. Praise God for hair. Amen. Um, 
Jesus says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And for some of you, that is more than others. That is to be sure. The Bible, of course, talks about the heart. You know the scripture well. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And finally, the one we'll focus on today is the ears. Mark chapter 4, verse 9, we'll read in a minute. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. Friends, these are great reminders to us because we're going to enter and read a parable and study it briefly today about what the Lord reminds us about what we are called to do. God's given us two ears and one mouth, two ears to listen, to hear, and process the Word of God. But there are some in this world who have two ears who cannot hear the Word of God even if it's shared to them. And why is that? Why does God allow some to hear the word and some not to hear the word? And why does God allow some to flourish in the word and none to flourish at all? It's a great question. And we'll be looking at that today. I mean, think about this. If God told you that you could go out and share the gospel and only one out of four people would respond, would you share the gospel? You probably would. But today, we're going to look at these four different types of soils, and, and we'll, we'll apply this as we go. But it's a great reminder for our big idea today that when we believe that God is sovereign, when we believe He's over everything, our hair, our eyes, our ears, or every event that happens in this world, seen or unseen, we do more praying to the Lord of the harvest to bring the increase than we do to beat up those without it. Because so often... We get so frustrated if we're Christians, don't we, that when we go to someone and share the gospel, don't you hear what I'm telling you? Yeah, I hear you. You're yelling it in my ears. Why aren't you responding? God, you're sovereign. Can't you change this person's heart? And we get frustrated sometimes, don't we? God, where, why? Why why this person? But I've been praying for this person forever, God. Why? This parable will help us ask this question because our text is about your ears my ears, and how well they will listen to and hear spiritual truth. And it's about those who come to church, attend Bible study, who, who have the gospel shared with them. And, and just as James 3 talks about a connection between the heart and tongue, Mark 4 teaches us a spiritual connection between the heart and the ear. He says in verse 3 of Mark 4, listen, Jesus says. He says in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. He says in verse 12, those who may indeed hear but not understand. And then in verse 20, he speaks of those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Do you have spiritual ears, so to speak, that hear this morning? And what do we need to hear? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you're able, as God allows, will you join me in standing for the reading of God's word in honor of of God's word this morning? Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Uh, You, again, can praise God. We are fast-tracking. We went through two sections of Scripture in one sermon, and we'll get out at the same time. So uh, you can count your blessings one by one. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. God's Word says this this morning. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside him on the sea, beside the sea on land. And he, Jesus, was teaching many things in parables. And his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed, verse 5, fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And verse 8 says, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. And when he, again, that's Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those outside, everything is in parable, so that, he's quoting here, they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them in verse 13, Do not you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word, and there are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And it takes away, and when they hear, rather, when the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And verse 18, And others are sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and proves unfruitful. But those, verse 20, that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. May God bless the reading and doing of his word. May we bow before our Lord as we pray this morning. Father, we are reminded that you are a God who is far above us. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. But Lord, through your Son, you have spoken the final authoritative words. We no longer need, Father, certain things as the Old Testament needed because your Son has come. Father, we know in this very congregation, in this very church, there are many of these different types of soil, so to speak, represented. Father, would your spirit do as your spirit can only do and stir among hearts to your glory, whatever that may be in your sovereign plan. Father, we are so grateful that by grace alone, in Christ alone, we who have been brought to Christ have heard your word alone. Father, may we rejoice at that. Give us wisdom this morning. I pray you stir hearts. I pray you encourage the downtrodden. I pray you challenge the prideful. I pray you just draw the church closer together through the preaching of your word. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. This is a very, very interesting parable. And many of you have heard this parable before. You've grown up with this, and, and you know the, 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 the ins and outs of it. But I just want to break this down by heading. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9 and, and then looking at the, uh, uh, the question Jesus was posed and then Jesus' answer. And so, first, I want you to see that we must sow the seed of the gospel that people must, might hear the word. Look back at verse 1. This is very interesting. Uh, you notice there in verse 1 of Mark 4, it says, Again, he began to teach by the sea. You remember the crowds were all around Jesus at this time. It is, it, is a, it is a big thing. He's being followed by a very big crowd. And he moves into a boat to start teaching. I, am, I, I do not know how sailors in the old days did it. I mean, just the rocking back and forth at Worlds of Fun makes me want to just go to the bathroom. You know, it's just crazy. And here's Jesus, even in a tied-up boat or even out a little bit from the sea, into the sea, he moves in because he needed the space. People were crowding around him. They had heard the word. They were excited about the miracles. They were all there for different reasons, but they wanted to hear from this Jesus. 
And he also does this, I think, to add amplification rather to his voice, to get it across the water, because that was the most common teaching posture of the Jewish rabbis of the day. And the text says in verse 2, if you see it there, that he taught them in many parables. Uh, Mark chapter 4 here, and we're going to be going through Mark the next couple years. Mark chapter 4, along with Mark chapter 13, is the longest teaching section in Mark's gospel. It talks about parables. Parables are the most striking feature of the ministry. The parable idea is that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning is helpful. You've probably heard it that way, but it needs to be expanded. Let me just note several things about parables and what these are. Parables provide insight into nature, the coming, and the growth of the kingdom of God. Jesus would take something very simple like seed on the ground and make it something about Christ, about what it was. Parables were also by design intended to be surprising and uh, arresting. They often sneak up on you. It's like a good story, you know, a good punchline. Uh, some of you all have good jokes, and we get sucked in the joke, and we think we got it figured out, and then you come along and say the punchline, and we just crack up because we never expected that meaning. Parables are often used to stimulate thinking and cause their hearers to think about what is being said. I mean, grain was the most basic thing. It's like if Jesus gave a parable about a smartphone. Most of you in this room would be like, oh, I know what a smartphone is. I use this all the time. That's kind of what a parable does. It takes something simple, but it stimulates your thinking in a way you've never heard before. Parables often use everyday objects, events, and circumstances to make a spiritual truth, but with a twist of it. Parables comprise over 35% of the gospel teachings, but ultimately they draw attention to Jesus as God's Messiah and call us to make a personal decision concerning him. So why is it then that Jesus spoke in parables? Why didn't he just speak plainly? Why didn't you just say, this is it? Just, just shoot it out there, Jesus. You know, shoot straight with me. You know, a lot of, we have that phrase, beat around the bush, which I don't know where in the world that came from. Uh, you beat around the bush. You don't like when people beat around the bush. So, Jesus, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Well, he gets into it a little bit more as we go through. Look at verses, again, 3 through 9, uh, 3 through 8. They're often called the parable of the sower, but I think it's better said the parable of the soils. The parable begins with a challenge to pay attention. Look back at verse 3. He tells us, listen, a sower went out to sow. He tells them right away what they need to do. It's spiritually telling them, look, you need to pay attention. What I'm telling you is life or death. And it's interesting here that the background of the situation is, is, is sowing seed in Israel. Because sowing preceded plowing. I am not a farmer, I'm not the son of a farmer, but I know enough about farms, as you do, to know that you don't just go plant the seed in the ground and hope for the best. If you do that, you're not going to get a very good return. So what happened is the seed is sown and then plowed under back in those days. And to emphasize, the story falls on the sowing of more than four soils. And the kingdom of God, through the preaching of the gospel, will break in a seed like a, a, a seed sowed by a farmer. So... It will variously fall, as you saw. You notice in here, and I'm just going to go over this briefly because it's very straightforward, but some seed fell on rocky ground, some seed was eaten by birds, other seed fell among the thorns, other seed grew up for a season and died, and then there was the one seed that grew up and actually took root. So you see that some was sown on a path, verse 4, some was sown on rocky ground, verses 5 and 6, some was sown around thorns, verses 7, and some was on good and productive soil, verse 8. So Jesus, what are you getting at? 
Jesus is telling us and reminding us here, folks, is that our, it is our job to sow that seed. We are to go about and be the sowers of the seed of the Word of God. That is what is primarily cast in this first section, that we are to be the ones to help go and share the Word of God. It is God who raises up everything, 1 Corinthians 3, but it is our job to spread the gospel. I mean, think about it. What if you were given a business endeavor, and I said this a minute ago, that you were told that you had a 25% chance of success? Would you do it? If you're an American, you probably say, 25%? Are you kidding me? That's a terrible return on my investment. But if it's a soul involved, it's a totally different currency, isn't it? Friends, it's a great reminder to us, and I've shared this in, in, in many recent weeks in Mark a while ago, but every time you share the gospel, it is a positive thing. Why? Because God is the one who grows the seed or dismisses the seed, so to speak. So if I share the seed and someone says, I want nothing to do with Jesus, out of here, get out of here, go, go, go. I'm watching the Missouri Tigers win six games in a row. I don't have time to talk to you about Jesus, you know, whatever. Is that a positive thing? Yes. You know why? Because God is doing with that sharing of the gospel exactly what he sovereignly intended for that person, that they would reject it because he knew they would reject it. What if someone says, tell me more? I, you know, I'm interested. Tell me more. Is that a positive thing? Yes, because they want to know more. Or the ultimate, if someone says, I want to know Jesus right here on the spot, is that a positive thing? Yes. Why? Well, because they came to know Jesus, right? That's a gimme. And I think as you look at this at the very first, it's a great reminder to us that it's not our sales pitch. It's not our conniving. It's not our strategy. It is nothing more than being faithful to entrust our gospel sharing to a sovereign, faithful God that converts the hearts of people. And that should be a release for you and me. Because how often have we gone mad away from a conversation that we blew, we missed, we said, Lord, if I would have just remembered those five steps I was taught in that Bible study a long time ago, this person would be a Christian. What weight that is off your shoulders. Because it is God who works among the seed to grow it. It's not our doing it. Now be careful with that. Be very, very careful with that. Uh, There are good church history folks in here who know there were people that once said, oh, man, if God's going to save them, we're just going to sit in the church. We're never going to share the gospel. We're not going to go anywhere. If God's going to save them, we'll let him save them. We're just going to sing kumbaya and go home. They call them the the hyper-Calvinists is the official term. And to use a very general broad stroke, friends, we are to be faithful. We are to be diligent. We are to be loving and bold to share the gospel, but we are not to be surprised if not everyone responds to the gospel. It is up to God to will and to work as he does for his glory. But aren't you grateful that even 25%, so to speak, if that's the equation, that God would save even one, and God would save even you and save even me? Let's go on to the second section. The first section is very straightforward. It talks about we are to spread the seed of the gospel, that there's going to be those who reject it, but even broadly from Scripture, we know positively in God's glorious providence that God will save those who are His. But secondly, I want you to notice, if you don't listen to the Word, you will not benefit from the gospel. Look back at verses 10 and 12. Now, if I don't know about you. I would be completely completely nervous to go up to Jesus and say, I have no idea what you just said. How many of y'all were like that in class when the teacher taught? 
you were the, one of those ones that just said, I'm not going to ask a question. I, I know it already, right? I want to go home and study it, but I know it. Some of you don't care. You're like, I have no idea what you just said. Just tell me again. I would have been not that disciple. I would have been the one back there being like this because I would be afraid to ask Jesus. But it says in verse 10, when he was alone, Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12. So not just the disciples, but even another layer of disciples or those interested close to him asked him about the parable. Their strength in numbers, if you will. And this is something that happens very, very interesting. That what was the purpose, Jesus, of this parable? Why did you share this? What, what is this all about? And Jesus' answer is actually what you might call the hard sayings of Jesus. It requires some careful consideration and reflection. Both the terms and context are necessary to understand. So Jesus addresses the 12 and those around him, and he says this. Look at verse 11. This is so straightforward, so narrow, and in our PC culture, so bigoted, as some might say. But praise God. He said to them, to you, not to the Muslims, not to the Hindus, not to those who would say anything but Jesus, but to you, those who believe in me, he has given the secret of the kingdom of God. Wow. I've always wondered what it would be like to travel in a time machine. Haven't you? Wouldn't it be so cool to take all the technology you have and just get, you know, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you 80s kids, and go back in time with all the technology, and you could, you could rule the day. You could just, I mean, people would be like, whoa, where did you come from? It's amazing. Because you had secrets they didn't. But, friends, if you had a secret of how it was to cure cancer, you would be on every TV wave sharing that secret because you want everyone to be, be healed. At least I hope that you would. But it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't say that everyone has the secret. He says to you. Who is the you here? It's the you all, those who believe in him. And he addresses them that those on the outside will get no exclamation but only parables. And then Jesus goes on and he says, he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 here. He says, they may indeed see, they may see what I'm saying, but not get it, perceive it. They may indeed hear it, they, they, they see I'm talking, they hear I'm talking, but they don't understand it, lest they should turn and be forgiven. But Jesus, I mean, come on, are you saying that there are some people that, 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 that you love that are not going to come to know you? The answer is yes. The sun melts the, the, melts the wax, also hardens the clay. The word of the gospel hardens and blinds the resistant and rebellious while enthusiastically is received by those who want it to be receptive. But those who are on the outside are denied the possibility of belief. That may be hard for us to grasp, but they persist in unbelief. They will not receive more. In fact, if you go down to verse 25, just skip down in the chapter a little bit. Look at verse 25 of chapter 4. Jesus goes on to tell them, For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What Jesus says here is those who love the word, you're going to get more of it. Those who refuse the word, even what you have, you will lose it. You will lose it. You remember about two weeks ago we talked through the unpardonable sin. Those people who have crossed a line so deep that they want nothing to do with Jesus. They've crossed that line. They want nothing to do with him. That's what's in mind here. The secret of the kingdom of God, guys, is that God's present kingdom plan is one of seed sowing. 
it has come, but will flourish later like seeds that are planted and mature into fruit. His rule has come in an unexpected manner, but it has come. Christian, if you are a Christian here today, and I, I believe most of you are, that you have the secret of the kingdom of God. Let that sink in for a second. What if someone came to you and said, you know, I know where some buried treasure is. You know, and I'm willing to give you that secret, but you can't tell anybody. It's kind of like that old story, The Count of Monte Cristo. Some of you have read that book, the, uh, the book, and re- seen the movie about 10 years ago about this man who's in prison, and he goes off, and he, he, he goes off into uh, uh, prison, and he learns from this guy where this great treasure is, and he goes out, and he helps people and all these great things, but he, he can't tell anyone where the treasure is, or at least not but his servant. But friends, we have the secret above all secrets. We have the glorious gospel. That's why I would encourage you this holiday season, invite your friends to church. Invite your friends to our, our, our holiday gatherings. Invite your friends to our prayer meetings. Invite your friends. Be the greatest inviter of all things. Why? So we can fill pews? No, that's great. But so they can hear the word of God. You never know what God can do. But Jesus reminds us that there are those that will not be saved. Friends, God will save some and not others. But yet the gospel is open to all. Is God still loving? Yes. Is God still just? Yes. Is God still merciful? You better believe it. But there are those who will reject the gospel. There are those who will reject the gospel. And we need to be okay with that in the sense that we do nothing except what Spurgeon used to say, the great Baptist preacher, that we would do everything to save them from the grasp of hell until they say they want no more. Is our evangelism that focused? We are entering a season, aren't we, in holiday season where people are more receptive, it seems, at least on the superficial level, to receive the gospel. People want to hear about Christ. They want to hear about the church. They want to hear about all these things. Now, you're going to see your history channels, your discovery channels, and all this junk out there. Please dismiss it for what it is. But you're also going to have people genuinely interested. Can I challenge you this week? Would you pray for one person in your circle, whether that be your family or friends, that would you would see come to know Jesus by the end of this year, God willing? Who is that? Is that your spouse? Is that your boss? Is that your neighbor who plays loud music at all times of the night that keeps you up and it's not Christmas music past holiday, past Thanksgiving? Who is it? Friends, you have the secret of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you share with them until they reject that gospel, till they show they are not of those who will be saved. That's how faithful we are called to be. Lastly, I want to share with you this. This is the main brunt of what I want to study. But the fruitfulness of the seed of the gospel depends on the receptivity of the hearer. Look back at verse 13, if you will. Verse 13 reminds us, And Jesus says, some will understand, some will be the good soil, some will be the bad. But he said to them, do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Interesting. He starts with a mild chiding, doesn't he? It's like when you tell your kid, didn't I tell you to take out the trash? No, really, didn't I tell you to take out the trash? You already know where you're headed. But his words note the foundation of the parables. If they don't get this one, they'll struggle to understand the other ones. 
it's kind of like this, I don't know, is Common Core still in today, teachers? I don't know. We used to add up with our fingers and our toes and everything else or whatever it was. But Jesus is basically telling them, look, if you can't add or subtract, it's scarcely imaginable you'll be able to multiply and divide, so to speak. I hate math. Praise God, I hate math. I don't know if you're with me on that. Hate math with a passion. Some of y'all love it. Doug's shaking his head. Uh, some of y'all are saying, yeah, I love math. Woo, woo. Go, math, go. Hated geometry. Hated trigonometry. Hated calculus. Oh, by golly. And that ACT about was the death of me. But it was what it was. Because if you can't get this basic part of math, you're not going to get over here to the tough stuff. Does that make sense? That's exactly what Jesus is telling him. And he then goes on to explain what the soils are. And this is where I really want to lay into it as we've gone quickly through the first two points. I want you to notice in verses 14 and 15 that the soil of some hearts is hard. Notice that in verses 14 and 15. And Jesus says that there are those who are sown along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, verse 15, Satan immediately, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first, the soil of some hearts is hard. It's hard. The sower is Jesus or anyone who sows. The seed is the word of God. And the path represents the hard-hearted or tough-minded individual. Notice that word immediately. I try to emphasize that as they hear it. Satan is pictured like a devouring bird. You know, some of you all have bird feeders, and you know when the squirrels are there, the birds like wrap around them and get the seed away from them. That's kind of what the picture is. These people with hard hearts are ultimately bird food. Their hearing is superficial and resistant. They're totally unresponsive. They want nothing to do with the gospel. They suffer from gospel deafness. And like skeptics, they quickly dismiss the word without giving it careful consideration. They hear it. They hear the word. The book closes. The service ends, and so does their heart. They're hardened, and, and for whatever reason, they don't care a lick about the gospel. Whew. That's most people in this world. That when you share the gospel with them, they just walk out the door like nothing ever happened. Oh, that's wonderful. Great. It's almost like if you walk up to them and say, hey, uh, would you like a glass of water? Oh, that was an exciting. Here's a glass of water. Water. It's just water. That's how it is. It's that mundane to them. There are some people who are so hard. You can jazz up everything. You can preach lights out. You can go to them and take a Bible and beat them over the head, literally. It does nothing to their hearts because they are hard-hearted so much that Satan himself, Satan himself, Jesus says, comes and steals away the seed that is there. The second type of soil that he mentions is, is not only are some hardened, but in verse 16, some are shallow. And uh, that's an interesting word choice, but I think it's applicable. Look back at verse 16. Jesus says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, there's that famous word of Mark, immediately Receive it with joy. Let me stop right there. These are people who get excited about Jesus. They are so ready to do whatever Jesus wants them to do. They get, woo, go Jesus. Woo. Jesus, I got a house payment I got to make. I'm going to come to you. Jesus, I got this. I'm going to pray lights out. But if you don't give it to me, I'm out the door. Look what it says in the next verse. And they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while, they hang around the church for a while, they, they do the Christian thing for a while, but notice what it says. Then, 
when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Look, they hear it, they, they love it, they, they have no roots, they, they stick around for a while, things are good, I like how things are working around here, but when hard times come on account of the gospel, they're done. I'm out of here. These are the people in your life that said, I tried Jesus once and it never worked for me. Heard that before? That's them. Or I prayed to God and he never answered my prayer, so I became a Hindu to pray to millions of gods and hope my, one of my prayers might be answered. I've heard that before. They sprout up quickly. They look promising, but it's shallow and has no roots. It's like my yard. I love November because November you can really see whose yard is the best grass in the neighborhood. Do you know what I'm saying? Because those who have green grass, that grass looks as green as it did back in, like, January. But my grass right now looks red and brown and yellow. It looks great in the summer because when you mow it, it's just green grass weeds, right? looks great. But when November comes along, it looks pretty poor. So if you have any grass tips for me, I'll be here after service. I'll, I'll gladly take your advice. But these people are here today and gone tomorrow. They grow fast. They, they, as one person said, they quickly green and they quickly are gone. They're eager listeners. They may even make a profession of faith. They pray a prayer. They lift a hand. They say yes. They get a great start, but they have no finish. They lightly come. They lightly go. They're superficial. There's no commitment because there's too many voices they hear. And this life is there as well. So, friends, that is, that is one thing that we know. Is this where you are? today? Is this where you have come from? I don't know, but I want you to go to the next one. Look at what Jesus says. There's the hard-hearted, there's the shallow, and in verse 18, there are the <laughs> there's just the, the you could say, the, the, the tacky. The, the, the others are the others sown, verse 18, are thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things prove and enter in. They choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. Kind of like the second group, but a little bit different. These guys come along, they hear it, but it's not just the tribulation that takes them away. It's, it's, It's other things of the world. Man, I thought if I became a Christian, I'd just be, God would bless my socks off. But God, I still got the same pair of socks I've had on all the time. They're stinky. Where's that new pair, God? These are people who say, Jesus, I want this. You haven't given it to me. Therefore, I'm moving on to a greater level, it seems, than the others. These are people who say, wow, Jesus looks really attractive when things aren't going well. But now that someone else comes along, oh, man, I can get rich over here. Or, or, or this thing is, is, is more desirable to me over there. Or whatever it is, the word is choked out of them. It's very prickly. Very, very prickly. So where does this leave us? They find pleasure in wealth more than in Jesus They find pleasure in desires more than in Jesus. Stuff is more important to them than the Savior. Maxing out their credit card to go in debt up to their eyeballs is more important than treasuring the very God who is the one to be celebrated at Christmas time and all year. John 8.31 judges them. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The third soil, you could say, is easily distracted. It's like that dog that dog on Up, right? Have you ever seen the movie Up before, the c- cartoon? He's talking to you one minute, and then he says, squirrel. Talks to you another minute, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. That is a very vivid picture 
of what the third soil represents. So you have those soils who are hard-hearted. You have those soils who are shallow. You have those who you could say are prickly, easily distracted. And then finally, where most of us in this room land, the soil is fruitful. Look at verse 20. I want you to think about this before we read it. It's interesting here that Jesus spends more time on the soil that has the least amount of positivity, if you will, the least amount of gospelness in them. But he spends one verse on those who are Christian. Very interesting. He says in verse 20, the last soil, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. How do you know if someone is a Christian, Tower View? They hear the word, they bear it, even when hard times come, and they grow in it. Tribulation and persecution don't deter them. The worries and concerns of this life, even though that may rack their brains and the wealth and personal desires, don't distract them. Their hearing is active. It's not passive. They aggressively pursue the word like a lost treasure. I can't get enough of this book. You've got to give me more Bible, Pastor. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And those are the people that pastors, it drives them nuts, but it's a good nuts because they love God's word. That's why a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. John 15, 5 says, and, and Luke, who's here, and brother, thank you again for sharing last week. I was encouraged by that. I encouraged our church with this. Luke quoted this last week. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why is it that so many churches have so many people on their roles who haven't been to church in years and years and years and years, but we... We consider them to be Christian. Maybe they are. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that as God provides those who receive the word, they grow 30, 60, and 100-fold times. As pastors, one of the greatest struggles we have is when someone comes to us for baptism. Why would that be a struggle? Because your question in the back of your mind you're always asking, is this legitimate or is this because someone else wanted them to do it? Is this what God would have for them, or is this just something they want to do because that's what you're supposed to do as a, or as a person in their family, whatever it is? And the greatest prayer that we have as pastors is, Lord, give me a desire, give me the clear vision to see. I can't see their soul, Lord, you do, but Lord, help me to understand which type they are. Are they doing this out of the right motive, or are they doing this because they are like this last soil? They want to grow in the Lord. There are so many people who've walked an aisle, prayed Jesus, they've prayed a superficial 60-second prayer, walked an aisle, been baptized, and walked out the church door never to be seen again. How do you know if someone's a Christian? Let me read it to you again. Jesus' own words. Verse 20. They are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. We went yesterday to cut down a Christmas tree. Uh, that's an exciting adventure with a 11-month, a 3-year-old, and a 4-year-old. That's quite an adventure. Simeon wanted to use the saw. That's not going to happen, son. Scarlet wanted that tree. Simeon wanted that tree. And Seth just reaches out his hand and says, duh. And that's what he does. So how do you know which tree to pick? Well, Mommy and Daddy eventually pick a tree. 
But we were talking to the owners of uh, this local tree orchard, and I, I don't know all the science or all the things many of you people do, uh, but th their trees have been just devastated the last several years with bugs and weather. And, I mean, the trees were – we got a five-and-a-half-foot one, and it was just – I mean, it was a skinny little thing. But it's amazing because they talked about how they had not taken note of the signs. They thought their trees were healthy when they were not, and they lost most of their crop and income because of it, how quickly things changed. How do you know if someone is a Christian? Is their life always perfect? Oh, man, I hope not. Is everything going to go well for them all the time? Boy, golly, I don't think so. Is everything going to fall into place just like a perfect holiday? And you, I've, we've already watched two of them at home, like a perfect holiday Hallmark movie where everything goes bad and then Christmas Day comes and it's just smiles and, you know, the turkeys plob, plump and all the big bows are on. No, that's not necessarily the life of a Christian. Life of Christianity is one marked by severe persecution, by severe trial, by severe want at times. But through all of that is a great joy because we know that it's God himself who's held us up the whole time. How do you know if you're a Christian? You know you're a Christian because God is the desire, the ultimate desire of your heart. That may wane at times. That may ebb and flow at times. But at the end of the day, how do you know you're a Christian? Because you accept whatever comes in Christ's name and you grow fruit out of it. Look, the rain falls on some of the same trees, but not all the trees stand within the storm. You are saved by grace alone in Christ alone. Let me conclude with just four short application points, and we will close out today as we do this. First, I want you to know that Christianity is a word, is a religion of the word, guys, and we need to hear it. You need to hear preaching, both that challenges you and convicts you. You need to hear preaching that both comforts you and chastises you. Is that your prayer every Sunday before you come? Lord, whatever is before me, would you bring it on? Second thing I want you to know quickly is that hearing God's word is dangerous. Ooh. Hearing God's word is very dangerous. What you do with it is critical for your soul. Christian, can I just challenge you in the midst of all the busyness this holiday season that's already upon us? May you be greedy for the word of God. You know that Grinch thing, and I tried to. I love Home Alone too because it has the big smile, the Grinch, and then it has the guy behind him. You know the Grinch, right? The Grinch always has that big smile. You be greedy like the Grinch is for other things, for the Word of God, the right thing. Do you see that? Like a starving beggar who has found bread, seize it with all your might and cherish it for all the food that it is, and repeat to yourself, "He who has ears, let him hear." You want to hear God speak? Open your Bible and read it out loud. God speaks loud and clear, doesn't he? Even through passages you may never think. Third, I want you to see God's purpose here. God's purpose is the fruitfulness of the gospel. The fruitfulness of the gospel. We should not be discouraged when times are lean. We should not be discouraged when things don't seemingly go the right way. When, when, when things around us seemingly in the culture, in our church, or whatever it is, it just, it's bad or whatever. It's challenging God's purpose is in there somewhere. Do you think for a farmer, when he throws out all that seed, that he doesn't get mad and say, I wish I had 100% of the seed, but he rejoices, doesn't he? Just like the, the, the man who lost the lamb rejoiced over the one coming back because he knows that God's purpose is in there somewhere. God tells us, don't be discouraged. My work is underway. 
way. It might not be impressive. It's largely hidden. Fruit and effect and harvest will be astounding, and only I, God, can get the glory. There's a lot, guys, I'm just going to call the cards for what they are. There's a lot of crazy things that churches do around Christmas time that have absolutely nothing to do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a lot of hubbub. It's a lot of dog and pony shows. And a lot of money. And a lot of time. Is it all bad? No. I don't want to say that. But I do want to say that sometimes the most faithful witness of God's people and God's church is just letting God work through the lives of people in the most mundane, simple, and faithful ways. If you were brought to God by a light show, you're going to need a light show to keep with God. God's purposes sometimes do not make a whole lot of sense. Who is the most famous preacher in the world? If I were to ask you that, who would you say? Billy Graham? uh, John Piper for some of you in the more recent days? Who is it? I would argue it's some guy out in the bush somewhere who has a congregation of five who could write circles around the books that are out today and preach lights out everywhere he goes. No one knows his name, but God does. God's purposes may not always be big and flashy and bright, but they're always fruitful. Finally, lastly, I want you to see God's goodness. God's goodness. God's grace and goodness. Go back to verse 11. If you are a Christian... This should just whew, should just make you excited. More excited than seeing the Chiefs whip up on the Bills. And I was wrong last week. The Giants whipped up on us, guys. Sorry, so I better not say that, but I'll let it be what it is. But look back at verse 11. We close here. You have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Stop right there and get on your knees because that is grace. God has given you grace to see it. Grace to live it. Grace to experience it. Grace forever and ever and ever to be in His presence. If you are a Christian, you hear Him say to you by name, I've given the secret. I've given grace. Thank you, Lord. Never forget it. God's action is at the center of this parable. His action is everywhere. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to us, guys. Don't let Christmas gifts excite you more than Jesus. Your thanksgiving list should be unashamedly longer than your Christmas list. Why? Because God has given you more in Jesus than you could ever amount in all this world. You know that. I know that. May God protect our hearts from the opposite side of that. What an awesome God he is. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we